Well, we are in John 14. I'm just a mess. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're in John 14 on February 14. But like I said, this isn't really a Valentine's Day message, though the numbers will line up. But maybe the Lord has a Valentine's Day gift to give to us tonight. And I think his name is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he is the gift I will give you. If you ask, it says in Luke 11, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight and a few other things out of this passage. Now, I just realized this week, as I was preparing this passage, that we are, I mean, I honestly think we could spend the rest of the year in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, and we wouldn't exhaust anything. There is so much revelation here. There is so, the, the scriptures tie into what Jesus is saying in such a powerful way. There is revelation of who Jesus is and where he's going and what he's providing by going. And there's revelation of the Holy Spirit. There is more revelation of the Holy Spirit in John than in all the gospel, and all the other gospels combined. Did you realize that? John speaks more of the Holy Spirit and his function, and who he is as a person, and who he ha and what he has to give to us as believers, and that he, oh, it's just, it's wonderful. And so we're going to get to not only talk about that tonight, we're going to get to encounter the Holy Spirit tonight, right? Don't disengage your heart right now. Stay in an attitude of prayer. When something hits your heart, ask God for it. This is how I listen to sermons. I pray during sermons. Sermons turn into my prayer meeting. And when something hits my heart, I just go, oh, pause. <laughs> or sometimes I just disengage from what the guy's saying in front of me. And I'm like, oh, give that to me. I want that. Holy Spirit, do that in my heart. So I want to encourage you, keep and act. And I do it under my breath. No one knows I'm doing it. Sometimes they do because I get a little excited, you know. My wife's like, shh. <laughs> He's speaking. But, but we can... You can keep that attitude of prayer while you listen to sermons and ask God for things. It is glorious. Anyway, and then you think the preacher's really good and he's not actually that good. You're just <laughs> experiencing the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, let's dive in. I, I feel so inadequate to speak on these things. I have a little bit of revelation, but I'm just like, I want so much more. As I was studying and praying through John 14 this week, I was like, I want so much more. I want so much more time in these, passage, in these passages. I want to pray and I want to ask God for these things for our congregation, for my family, for my children. And so in the midst of my inadequacy, let's dive in, okay? Lord, I just pray for a grace to communicate your word. I thank you that it's your word and we are filled with your spirit. I thank you that you want us to hear, and hearing from hearing comes believing in God. And so, the Holy Spirit that's in me to communicate, Holy Spirit that is in the congregation to open ears to hear, we ask you to do this right now. We ask you to open our ears to hear, open my ears to hear even what's coming out of my mouth, what the Spirit is saying to us as a church. Give us ears to hear 
what the Spirit is saying to the church. The most repeated phrase in the book of Revelation is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And it came from the mouth of Jesus. So Jesus, you who spoke those words, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You have power to do this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, so we ended last week, John 13. What a great... uh, amazing meditation that we had last week, not because of my communication, but just because of what the Lord did. And, and what we didn't get to is at the end of John 13, there's, there's a shift. There's a groaning in Jesus in the middle of John 13. And there's a shift that ha- that's happening. And then Peter gets to hear about his future denial. How many of you would like to hear tonight that by the morning, by sunrise, that you were going to deny the Lord three times? That was the time frame that Peter heard it. He heard it probably about right now, and then hours later, he was doing it. Your heart would be troubled, right? Especially if you had that love and just that fervency for Jesus the way Peter did. And it says in chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Now, when Jesus asks a question, he's not looking for an answer. He already knows the answer, okay? If you ever get a question from the Holy Spirit, the answer's coming, (laughs) okay? Don't try to answer the question. Ask for the answer. Say, do like like John did to the the angel in the book of Revelation. Well, you know, don't you? (laughs) Do what Zechariah did in the book of Zechariah. You know, why don't you tell me? (laughs) When you get asked a question by the Lord or by an angel, just ask him for the answer because they got it. Okay. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly. Now, how would you like to get one of the truly, truly statements of the book of John from Jesus to you about this? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And thus begins John 14. That's the setting it's given in. And right after that, Jesus says, but let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Why were their hearts troubled? Well, they had experienced Jesus in John 13, 21, being troubled in his spirit because someone was going to betray them. So the band was breaking up. (laughs) I've been a part of bands, and they're terrible when they break up. (laughs) The band was breaking up. Someone whom they loved and had walked with for three years, was about to betray Jesus, and John was the only one who knew who it was. And the second thing, why their hearts were troubled, is that he had said that they couldn't follow where he was going. They had been with Jesus for three years, and they had very rarely been apart from him. Think of experiencing perfect leadership. Think of experiencing the manifest presence of God. Think of experiencing healings, 
demons being driven out of people, dramatic deliverances. Think of being in the boat and Jesus stands up and calms the storm and you worship at his feet. Think of 5,000 people being fed from loaves and fishes that are multiplied and you're gathering up 12 baskets full. I mean, just think of what this three and a half years, think of going into a village and everyone who is sick in that village or infirmed comes to you or comes to Jesus and he heals them and there's no more infirmity. Think of being divinely protected when you're with Jesus. People want to kill you and all of a sudden you're escaping. I mean, it was a good deal, (laughs) right? And when he said, I'm going and you can't follow, think of the sorrow that would be in your heart. And then Peter is experiencing his own trouble of, oh, great, the one who is truth, the one who never lies, the one who has been with the Father from the beginning. Peter believed all this, the one who is the word of God, the one who created the world, the one da-da-da-da-da-da-da, just said, I'm about to fail miserably. (laughs) Not encouragement. (laughs) But Jesus, knowing the end from the beginning, begins to give his disciples like ammunition, gives his disciples keys, give his disciples phrases that they can pick themselves up after this catastrophic night this terrible night and after this catastrophic failure that not just Peter are going to experience, but most are going to flee and run. And even John, who was there at the foot of the cross, he didn't do it so well. He didn't speak up and with boldness and this is wrong. He just kind of followed, you know? But Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled under substantial emotional pressure and on the brink of some people's catastrophic failure. Guys, this is good news for us, because guess what? We don't follow Jesus perfectly, right? This is good news. Guess what? We're gonna fail again, right? I mean, we don't want that, but but we're human. It's gonna happen. Him who says he has no sin in his life, 1 John says he's a liar. Like, that's not true. You have sin again, but you need to be washed again. You need to come back to the Lord again. Amen? And these words bring us back to God. These words bring us back to the cross. These words bring us back to Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled when you think you're a failure or when you have really failed. Meditate on these things and allow the Holy Spirit to restore you in the midst of failure. I think of emotional pressure that they were feeling. I mean, this was given to a group who were feeling a significant amount of emotional pressure. How many of you guys feel some emotional pressure? Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, which implies that our hearts not being troubled requires a response from us. He didn't say, I'm gonna cease all trouble in your heart and you're not gonna have to do anything. He says, let not your heart be troubled. So, okay, Jesus, we want that. How do we let not our hearts be troubled? What do we do? It's answered in the very next verse. Verse, or in the second part of verse one. Believe in God and believe also in me. Think of God and his son's promises to be true. 
Place your confidence not in yourself, but in him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, even in your failure. Trust in the Lord. Believe in him. Return to his promises. Return to the word and let the word wash you. Let the word restore you. Let the word build you up and edify you. Remember the promises. Confess them. Pray them. Ask for them. Believe that who said he would do it will do it. Believe in him and in his promise and in his plan and allow it to put in you the mind of Christ. Amen? And believe also in Jesus. Now Jesus is going to give them a key. What's the first thing he does to encourage them? He says this, verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. He says, If it were not so, would I have told you about them? And then he says, And that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. So Jesus jumps out of the gate and he says, I'm going somewhere and it's my father's house. I'm going somewhere and it's the eternal abode of God. I'm going somewhere. And they didn't have Revelation 21 and 22, a description of the new Jerusalem like we do. And Jesus says, this is where I'm going. And in this grand, glorious house, I'm making room for you. And guess what? The implication is, if I don't go and prepare this place for you, you don't get to be there. If I don't do what I have to do, and it says in Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 9 that Jesus goes into the throne room of God and sprinkled the blood on the altar and sprinkled the blood of the real throne room that is above that God sits in and cleansed it for us. You know why you get to go boldly to the throne of grace now and forever when you stand before him? It's because Jesus went away for us. He says, I have to go. I have to prepare this place for you. It's yours created for you. Isn't that incredibly encouraging? God has created us an eternal home. I mean, the description of it, of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22 what if you had a description of your inheritance? Would you read it? Would you study it? Would you long for it? We have close to two chapters in the Bible that John sees the New Jerusalem. And when he sees it, the angel describes it as the bride of Christ, the Lamb's wife. And he looks and he sees a city. You know why? Because lots of people that God loves are in that city. And it says it has streets of gold. It says that its gates are giant pearls. It says that it's huge, 1,380 miles high, 1,380 miles wide, 1,380 miles whatever. Deep, thank you. Engineer. <laughs> I was like, why? high, wide, deep. Okay, good. That's a big city, right? Why does God have that big of a city? He has capacity for that big of a family. He's a father. He wants it filled. You know why there's going to be a great harvest? Because there's room in the city. There's room. 
Oh, it's this city that is described as coming down. Ephesians chapter one says this. He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, and he's made known to us the mystery of his will, to unite all things in Jesus, things that are in heaven, the New Jerusalem right now, and things that are on earth where we are. Guys, the city is coming down. Isaiah talked about this city, and he said, it shall come to pass in the latter days when the Lord returns. There's a progression to this that we're not going to get into tonight, but I want you to know the city's coming down, okay? It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord. You know what we just described? 1,300 miles high, close to 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles deep. It's probably in the shape of more like a pyramid because the prophets always describe it as the mountain of the Lord's house. Isaiah saw it. He says this, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of all the mountains, meaning in the earth. And it says, and it shall be lifted up about all the hills. You know why? Because God is great and greatly to be graced. And God is the most high. And he will actually forever be the most high. (laughs) I think his throne is at the top. I think his temple is at the top. I think his dwelling place is at the top. And I think we're going to ascend. Remember the psalmist? Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord. And we will ascend. Who can ascend the hill of God? Psalm 15. Who is it? He who has clean hands, who has a pure heart, he who has... It's talking about a real day that we will walk up and we will worship him. Now, anyway, I didn't want to spend too much time on this, but oh, guys, the reason we do need to spend time on this is this is the revelation that Jesus gave his disciples to bring them back from a troubled heart, to bring them back from emotional pressure, to bring them back from failure. I've gone to prepare a place for you. It's all taken care of. How many men men in this room, if your finances and your house were completely taken care of, would go, Jesus says, that day's coming. That sigh of relief is coming. And I believe that's what Hebrews 4 is talking about. That's the rest of God that we are striving to enter into. There's coming a day of rest. Amen? Oh, it's a good day. It says, from this mountain of the Lord's house, it says, all the peoples of the earth, this is Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4, all the people of the earth will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Why? Because he has a generous heart, and he will teach us his ways, and he will show us his paths. Guys, that's forever. The nations are saying this about the Lord's house, meaning it's being done there. Discipleship is being done there. And they'll say to one another, come, let us go. He has an open heart. He has an open throne room. We're accepted in the beloved. Let's go. And he'll, he'll teach us. He'll spend time with us. And this is going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is going to happen as one generation disciples another generation in the greatness and glory of God. This is going to happen in the midst of an inheritance that is going to blow your mind, ruling and reigning with God for all eternity. Amen? Oof. Okay. Then he goes on. Oh, I have so much 
more information, and I'm just touching the surface, surface of this revelation of the new Jerusalem, but it really is powerful. So there's a way to get there. He says, you know the way, verse 5 of John 14. Let's pick it back up. But Thomas says to him, I love Thomas. I love Thomas and Philip and Peter in this like progression. And John just keeps his mouth shut. Maybe he like was prompted by the Holy Spirit. John, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> You're going to write one of these days. You don't want one of these phrases in here. Just kidding. No. Verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you were going. And how can we know the way? Oh, you guys know what's coming, right? This verse. Oh, and Jesus said to him, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the way to this eternal abode that I'm securing for you. How do you get there? You get there by faith, by belief, by trust in me. And you get there because I go before you and I make it possible for you to have it. He says, I'm the way. And he says, I'm not only the way, I'm the truth. I'm not only the truth, I'm the life He's the way to our eternal home. He's the way in which we encounter the Father now. He's the truth we are longing for. He's the truth that we are looking for. He's the truth about your children, about your wife, about your life, about your job situation. Jesus has truth to give about all these things. You want to know who your children are? Ask Jesus who knows the truth about them. You want to know how to live with your wife with an understanding heart, men, on Valentine's Day? Ask Jesus about the truth that he knows about your wife. He has truth to give. And he knows truth in all things. Your job situation, ask him, what's the truth about this situation? Sometimes I think we skip that step. We live in confusion just because we're not asking for Jesus to reveal his wisdom and his truth about this. Amen? At least I do. <laughs> and he's the life. Oh, let's go down to verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, actually, let's not. Uh, we'll read it. Okay. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is efficient, sufficient for us, or enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So Jesus starts to use this Trinitarian language, talking about him and his Father and the Holy Spirit as one, and he does this so many times. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to my Father. Now, that would have given you some courage right there, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, we don't know the way. I'm the way. Show us the Father. Philip, you've seen the Father. Come on. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, oh, oh. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and even greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my Father. So there's something about Jesus going to the Father that's gonna open up this access to us 
in his name before the Father. And he says, and then in verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There's so much here, but I actually wanna, I wanna move on. But that's encouraging, right? Now we know we need to ask according to his will. This isn't the only passage on prayer. This isn't the only time Jesus taught us to pray in scripture. And then we also see Jesus praying in John 17. And then we also have a record of Paul's prayers, a record of the apostles' prayers. We know there's something about asking that is wrong in a selfish sense, right? Because we get the answer right here. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If the Father's not gonna get glory in what you're asking for, you might be asking for the wrong thing. Amen? And I just take the model as the Lord's Prayer. First, it's about God. It's about Him and His glory. Our Father, come to Him in prayers of Father, who art in heaven. Know the vastness of who He is in His kingdom above that is coming down to the earth. Your will be done, right? <laughs> it's not my will be done. Your will be done. That's the prayer the Father wants to answer to glorify His Son who has made a way for us to ask it. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And as we pray these things, we begin to get a sense of what his will is for that season, for that area of your life, for that area of your ministry, for that area of your family. He has desires that he wants to be birthed in your life through prayer. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to our needs part. Because God wants to answer our needs. But why does he want to answer them? To bring glory to himself and to testify to the greatness of his son. And guys, when you receive answered prayer from the Father, shout it from the rooftops. Tell everyone. You know why? Because they're gonna be encouraged to ask the Father as well. Give me this day my daily bread. Keep me from temptation. I've been praying, keep me from temptation. And then I saw the Lord deliver me and he kept me from the evil one and I'm walking in victory in this part of my life that I haven't been walking in. Shout it from the rooftops. You know why? It pulls back the deception of the enemy that keeps people locked and bound in unbelief and in darkness. We need to testify about answered prayer. Amen? I need to do it more. You need to do it more. If you don't have any testimony to answer prayer, just start praying. That's all you got to do. Just start asking. It's that simple. If you were washed in the blood of Jesus and you were one of God's children. Amen? I'm convicted. <laughs> and then he says this, oh, precious, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, and if you do this, if you love me and keep my commandments, if you're asking me, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let's just take this for a a few minutes longer, let's meditate on this. It's Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Guys, I cannot stress this enough. Our love for God is seen by our actions. 
our love for God is displayed by our obedience. Now, do we have perfect actions? Do we have perfect obedience? No. Is, are we trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit that he said is going to give? Is it like an exchange of goods? It's not. The Holy Spirit is a gift that you cannot earn no matter what you do. But I believe the Lord is describing here a set of essential ways in which he and his body are connected. I believe he's describing relationship. I believe this is the marriage context kind of type language, you know. I can't tell my wife I love her and then not have any of my actions back it up, can I? Oh, that's appropriate on Valentine's Day. I didn't think about that. You can't tell your spouse you love them and then not back it up by any action. They'll say, no, 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 that's just words. You don't love me. You haven't been faithful to me. You haven't been, that's not love. My love to my wife is shown by my faithfulness, by my compassion, by my seeking to live with her in an understanding way. And it's more hard on her part than it is on mine. If I lie, I have to repent. If I manifest anger, I have to humble myself and repent and ask for forgiveness. That's love that longs to show it and comes back when I don't show it, right? And asks for forgiveness. Again, this is not a price paid for a gift. This is Jesus describing the relationship that we have with him, our bridegroom, his bride. Amen? Jesus goes on in verse 23 and 24. He says it again. If anyone loves me, he just reemphasizes this in all three chapters. He will keep my word. If you love me, you'll keep my word. If you're not keeping his word, I challenge you to pray and ask the Lord to grow love in your heart for him. I think it starts by that. Lord, would you manifest love in my heart for you? Let, Philippians 1, let your love abound in me. It means let it overflow. Let it be like a cup being filled up and it can't hold any longer. That's what that word abound means. It says, let your love abound in me. Pray that. That's a dangerous prayer right there. That's a dangerous prayer. That'll change the way you spend money. That'll change the way you spend time. That'll change the way you entertain yourself. That'll change the rhythm of life in your family. But guess what? You'll change because you love him. This changed me as a young man. I did not feel anything for Jesus. Well, a little bit. But when I started to pray, let me love you more. When I started to pray the end of John 17, I want to love you. I want to agree with your prayer. And I want to love you, Jesus, the way the Father loves you. When I started to pray Philippians 1, when I started to pray Ephesians 3, I want to know, I want to calm her hand. I want to experience your love for me. I tell you what, it didn't happen right away. But guess what? I'd be listening to a sermon and my heart would get pricked and I would just go, oh, I love you. And I had never felt that before. I'd be singing a worship song that said, I love you. And I would actually feel the passion of the Holy Spirit inside of me for Jesus Christ. Now, it's not all based on feelings. We love when we don't feel, right? We all know that. We're all grown-ups in here, right? Okay. <laughs> but we can experience I began to read the word of God and I began to cry when I would read the word of God. And I'd be like, this is wonderful. You know, <laughs> like when you have those moments where you're just like, I love you so much. 
Have you ever cried and expressed love to one of your children or to your wife or to your husband? Have you ever had that moment of just, I love you, and your heart's just like breaking, but in a good way? We can experience that for God. And he wants us to experience that, I really believe. If you love me, he says in verse 23, you'll keep my word. And here, is, and here it is again. And my father will love him. And we will come to him. And we will make our home in him. Now Jesus is just doing different ways of describing the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Oh, here it is. Jesus ascending to the right hand of God and asking on our behalf, Lord, send them the Spirit. Give them the Spirit that I have walked in without measure. Jesus, it says, was given the Spirit without measure. Give them the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. This word for helper, I will give you another helper to be with you forever, is the word paraclete in the Greek. And sometimes your Bible says helper, sometimes your Bible says comforter, sometimes your Bible says advocate, sometimes your Bible says, is there one I'm missing? There's a fourth one. Counselor. NIV, counselor, ESV, helper, New King James, comforter. And they all mean paraclete. Like, those are all correct interpretations, okay? But when a Greek would hear paraclete, he would think of someone who has favor with a judge that would come into a courtroom and stand beside you and plead your case on your half before a judge. That's what a paraclete it was. It was mostly used in a legal term in the Greek world. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the one who's gonna come alongside you. Not only come alongside you like that advocate would, but he's gonna be inside of you. And that advocate would speak on your behalf to the judge, and he would win you favor with the judge. Now, even there is an inadequate picture, but the Holy Spirit is there to come alongside you in the presence of the Father, like that seal that is described in Ephesians 1. And you are known in the courtroom of heaven, and your voice can be heard because of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? And guess what else it means? It's not only one who's gonna, is going to speak well of you before the Father. It also meant one who was going to encourage you and instruct you in the legal process. Someone who was going to build you up. That's actually what the word comfort means. It means to, to like re-fortify. It doesn't necessarily mean to like calm and soothe. It meant to give strength when they began to use it. Uh, and it, we've kind of turned it into like the Holy Spirit will like pet me. <laughs> I don't know why pet me, but you know, like, like a dog. You know, like Sammy runs up and, oh, I'll comfort you. No, it meant in the face of battle, I'm going to give you strength and courage. I'm going to build you up. How many of you guys need strength and courage right now? You have been given a helper. You have been given one to encourage and to strengthen you. And I just got this picture in my mind as I was preparing, like for battle. 
I want David Bloom beside me if I go into a fight. Amen? I want a smart lawyer beside me if I'm going into a courtroom. I want a great athlete on my team if I'm playing basketball, right? You want that one who's going to stand before you that's going to be on your team and that's going to, just because you're in their presence, you're like, oh, we could win, you know? That's the Holy Spirit times a million. And then Jesus says this, not only am I going to give you a helper, he's like, I'm going to pray for the Father to give you another helper. Now that word, another helper, means that they already had a helper, right? Jesus was with them. He says this. He says, I will give you another helper to be with you forever. Meaning this helper isn't going to do what I'm about to do. I'm about to go away and come back for you. When you receive him, he'll be with you forever. Is that not a good promise? He's with us forever. He's the spirit of truth. We won't get into all of these things. But he says this in the end of verse 17. He says, you know him. For he dwells with you and he will be in you. Who was dwelling with them at that time? It was Jesus. Now, in other places in the Gospels, it says, it describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption. In other places, it's the spirit of God. In other places, it says the spirit of Christ. And all of that is true. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you, but he will be in you. And then right after that, Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. So this all is coming to this culmination of the fact that they're giving another helper. The word in Greek for another means an exact replication. It's like if I had two copies of the Tale of Two Cities up here, two books, or I had, I had two books, I would say, here's one book, and then Tale of Two Cities, and then another book that wasn't Tale of Two Cities, and I'd say, and here's another book. That's not like what the Lord's talking about. He's like, here's one book, A Tale of Two Cities, and here's another exact copy of the same book with all the same information inside. That's kind of a bad analogy. I just came up with that. Sorry about that. But meaning this, Jesus is going to give them himself inside of them. And therefore, it's better if I go away. Because all this time, you've experienced my presence dwelling with you. Oh, guys, there's a glorious day coming. I'm going to be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will ask my father to send another advocate, another helper. And then in 1 John chapter 2, you know what's described of Jesus? It uses the same word paraclete, and he says, if you sin, you have a paraclete, an advocate that's in the presence of the father that you can pray to. So guess what? We have two paracletes. We have Jesus before the father, that is prepared a way for our eternal abode, and by him our prayers are heard. And we have the, his Holy Spirit, his same spirit, his same mind living inside of us to strengthen us and encourage us and help us to look like him, to act like him, to live like him, to walk like him. Guys, this is amazing news. This just is courage. It really is. You're not alone. How many of you feel alone most of the time? 
I struggle with, with feelings of abandonment and being alone. I actually, I actually do. It's a stronghold that I've had to speak to uh, in my 20s and in my 30s. This revelation of Holy Spirit, there's wisdom. You're my guide. You're my counselor. You're my teacher. You will talk to me. You will reveal to me. This has been that that has broken off that orphan spirit. And I tell you what, it can for you as well. He will not leave you as orphans, and he hasn't. Amen? So, oh, we could just keep going and going. It's a beautiful meditation, a wonderful teaching. Not my teaching, John 14. 